0: Hey, firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. I don't even know where to begin to speak about what our world is like right now. It's hard to put it into words, but I will say this, the firecracker department team has taken this time to reflect, to listen, to learn, and to educate ourselves both individually and collectively. And as we move forward as a team with this awareness, we are committed to doing better. One of our core beliefs at the Firecracker Department is the importance of action, and we are going to keep learning, and we will work towards building a stronger foundation to amplify creative voices of women, BIPOC, and non-binary folks. That is our commitment. I really want you all to take care of yourselves and take care of each other. All right, here's our episode. our guest today is a phenomenon oh my gosh she she is so much she's a literal revolutionary I've known Carmen Aguirre for a long time when I used to live in Vancouver I knew her as a staple of strong powerful theater in our community and so it was such an honor gosh such a treat to spend this much time just talking to her because I'd see her at like opening nights in Vancouver in the theater scene, but never, I never really had the guts to like pull her aside and and have this kind of in-depth discussion. Um, Certainly not this length at, you know, at a party you're not going to sit down and, and talk like this. So this was an absolute treat. She is an author, she's an actor, she's an activist, and she's just like a true firecracker to the very core. Um, She was born in Santiago, Chile, and has lived a life that, I mean, most people may never experience even a slice of. It's an amazing, she, she writes plays and she writes beautiful stories, but her life is a beautiful story. As we'll talk in this episode coming up, you'll see that life in 2020 is nowhere near her first revolution. She wrote her first play in a land called I Don't Remember while she was still a student at Studio 58 in Vancouver. Ugh, that's amazing. Still a student. Like, it's enough. When I was in theater school, it was enough just to get to warm up at eight o'clock in the morning, let alone also be creating and writing a play. Uh, since then, she's written and co written 25 plays, and she co founded the Canadian Latinx Theater Artists Coalition. She facilitates Theater of the Oppressed workshops for refugee groups, Indigenous communities, and youth groups. I mean, that alone. That alone, but I'm gonna go on. There's more. Um, She's been nominated for local and national awards, toured a one-woman play in which she teaches the audience, (laughs) this is incredible, not only how to salsa dance, but she does it while navigating Latin American history, culture, and personal anecdotes. That's a plate spinner. In addition to all that, she's worked in TV and film, and oh my gosh, she has published national bestsellers. In 2012, she won Canada Reads with her book, Something Fierce. You'll find links to all her work in our show notes and make sure you have to, you have to, you have to check her out in the new film Bella Ciao, which is currently streaming online until July 16th. So go and check that out. She's just, she has had an incredible journey so far and she's unstoppable. It's so interesting. You'll see where our conversation goes because I ask her what scares her and uh, that's her next project. It's just such a great chat. So here she is. Here's Carmen Aguirre.
1: Hi. <laughs> Hi. Thank
0: you so much for taking time for this today,
1: Carmen. Oh, oh no. Thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> if we weren't in quarantine, I'd be coming to Vancouver. We'd be taking our shoes off and having a cup of tea together. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But this
0: yeah. is, I mean, this is why I've, I've been, it's funny when, you know, when you're, I'm about to talk to these folks on, on the podcast. I start reading up and listening. And so i feel like I'm in your head and I think, gosh, this, this is your second round of, an, of a revolution. Yes. <laughs> like this isn't anything overly new to you, what we're dealing with. And no. like, no, 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 it's a wild, it's a wild time. It's a while. And I also, this is yes. the other part of like talking to you because I have, like we've known each other through like just sort of same circles of friends and when i lived in vancouver and i've always known you to be this fierce actress beautiful like not just not just fierce in your point of view and your activism but also beautiful in your your choices of projects and your comedic choices and then suddenly this wave of um activism that's that's sort of weighing everybody. I don't want to just focus on that. Like, I want to celebrate who you are as sure. an artist as well, but they're so hard to um, untangle for me. Yeah. Thank
1: you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's hard, like, cause I think about my, my questions, usually, if it's like an actor, I'm like, you know, let's talk about your favorite credits and suddenly like that just doesn't matter to anymore. Like, I want to know how you, how did you get through the revolution that you went through as an artist and not put up like tons of armor and not put up tons of barriers so that you could still access your artist's heart because we're nothing if we can't mm-hmm. access that but you still manage to do it somehow even with the years of of pain
1: that you've existed through i'm so curious about uh-huh. that yeah oh that's a, that's a good question um uh, there's a lot to say there i suppose um so first of all, the first thing that comes to mind, which may sound completely ridiculous, but I don't know why it just came to mind. I love it already, is that it's um, OK. <laughs> the, the Chilean um, kind of stereotype, like of Chilean people uh, and I've heard many people say this about Chileans, and bear with me I actually read this description of Chileans in the National Geographic magazine, like 30 or 40 years ago. <laughs> <Right>. Yes. <laughs> which is that Chileans are tough and tender. And um, our, um, you know, the, the, the biggest indigenous nation of Chile, which uh, to this day, ten percent of Chile's population, so a huge percentage, if you think about it, right, considers itself full, fully. Um, this nation is the Mapuche people, and all of the Chileans that look like me, we have a lot of Mapuche blood, right? And that certainly, the um, those are qualities that the Mapuche um, nation holds in very high regard. Uh, It's a warrior nation. It always has been a warrior nation. Uh, It's the only indigenous nation in uh, South America that was able to resist the Spaniards, was never conquered. They fought the Spaniards for 300 years um, and won. Um, But their core value was tenderness um and so i kind of see that in chileans like I, I i really see that like when i go to chile i see it everywhere right and so i i guess I, I guess that has helped in in the in the sense that um somehow i've been able to keep that kind of open heart that you're referring to i think so i guess what i'm saying to make a long story short is that i think it's cultural <laughs> yeah
0: we <laughs> and, got time uh, this
1: is all about you so take uh, yeah. your time no <laughs> too long. and um Also, I was very fortunate that when I was very young, so when I was 22, I started theater school
0: Yeah,
1: and I um, had really severe PTSD. And I mean, I still struggle with PTSD to this day. Like it's it's something I'll struggle with for the rest of my life. And I'm just, as I get older, I get better at um, being able to identify when it's happening.
0: Mm.
1: Right. So for example, I have this tendency to get freezing cold for no apparent reason. Okay. And, uh, and that's, 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 what yeah, that's a PTSD thing that's going on. Right. I'm like, oh shit. Okay. Right. It's not cold. I, you know, I'm having a PTSD thing or I become very disoriented, which is also a PTSD thing. Like I'll be standing in the street and then all of a sudden I have no idea where I am. Oh wow. Like, oh shit. Like where's North, where's South, where am I going? What's happening? Right. Okay. Um, and it used to happen to me like full on, like I'd be in the bus, on, I'd, I'd be on the bus and all of a sudden I would have no idea where I was and I'd start panicking, like yeah. sweating profusely. Like, the, you know, um, so stuff like that. Like I'm, I, I just get better now as, as I get older at being able to identify, Oh, it's actually not freezing cold. Check in with yourself. There's something okay. going on. Or, uh, there's no reason why you should be lost right now. Right. Just stop, take a deep breath. Right. Um, but the process that, beautiful. but my point, Yeah. So my point is that I was lucky enough and privileged enough to go to theater school at a very young age, and within the first six weeks, I had, I'd scared the shit out of my teachers, unwittingly, uh, by having these PTSD attacks in the middle of classes. Right? Um, They're like they're like theater uh,
0: teachers. They don't know how to deal with that
1: kind
0: of stuff. They're like tapping to your inner child, and they're like, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So within like the first six weeks um they basically took me aside and said uh, you're not going to get through this program unless you go to therapy and it was kind of like this is not a suggestion uh, if you don't go to therapy you're we're kicking you out of the school they didn't say it in those words of course right but that was the underlying you know subtext like you have to make a commitment yeah. to go to fair. Th- I mean, I'm assuming if I were an addict, it, 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 they would have said the same thing, right? E- yeah. Either you join, you know, AA or get out of the school, right? Um, So,
0: but those are some good people that I, were I, able to embrace you, yeah. but guide you, as opposed to go, I don't know how to I deal see. with you. So you're out like, yeah, I mean, I think that's a really
1: lucky program to have those kind of teachers that guide. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I was I was very, very, very lucky. Yeah, and um, so I did. I started to go see a therapist uh, immediately because I wanted to get through school, yeah. <laughs> not because I thought I th- not because I thought there was anything I had to heal. Right. I was because yeah. I was 22, so I was yeah. you know when you're young and I'm making, I'm totally generalizing here about young people, right? But you're you're kind of You kind of have to be, um, you kind of have to have those shields up in front of you and just charge through life because you are so vulnerable, because you are so young, right? Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: So it's very hard to admit, oh shit, uh, you know, I have all these traumas that I have to heal. So I started to go to therapy in order to get through theater school thinking uh, deep down, like, oh, this is all bullshit. This is ridiculous. I'll just do it t- in order to pass. Right. right. Just do the work. And, um, just work hard and you'll get through yeah. it.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll just stop doing it once I graduate and, you know, um, but of course that sent me on a course of like years and years and years of different kinds of therapy. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and most of the time I was doing it because I understood that the only way to be uh, an artist was to um, have a complete access to your uh, vulnerability and to your emotional uh, yeah. vulnerability. Right. Yeah. But
0: that's like a, yeah. I feel like that's not something people like, that's taken me a while to learn that as an artist. Like
1: you learned that early mm-hmm. somehow. I don't know who taught you that, but that's. Well, a, I, I learned theater school. I mean, I think I went to, I know that I went to a really great theater school yes. and, um, uh, and that's basically what I was taught from day one, right? Like if you are not able to have access to your emotional life, if you're not able to be emotionally vulnerable, if the text uh, is not uh, emotionally rooted, if you are not willing or able to show your heart. To the audience, uh, you're not a, you're not an artist, right? You're you whatever it is you're doing, that it's not art, right? And so they drilled that into us and taught us how to do that, right? Which is why it's such a hard program, right? Yeah. And that and it's why most people don't make it through that program, right? Um, but uh, I, because it was and as you know, in order to to be an artist, it has to be your calling, right? Uh, otherwise, you shouldn't do it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because it was some because it was my calling, I was willing to do anything, and that's why I did all, uh, I, I did commit to going to therapy um, and um, yeah, like uh, even after theater school, I continued to go to therapy for many, many years precisely because I was like I'm not there yet like I know that I can go even it's an it's a it's a lifelong journey, the artistic journey right of making sure that you have your heart open, right. And keeping track of when it's shutting down. That's a daily um, process. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right? That's a daily process of yeah. going right, I have to connect to this material. And I mean, even right now uh-huh. with everything that's going on in the world, I feel myself putting armor on and I'm finding it hard to access my mm-hmm. heart because it's it's I'm I'm angry and I'm scared and I'm embarrassed. I'm feeling all these mm-hmm. things, so I'm sort of protecting. So I don't know how you
1: kept right kept that that lock ajar a that door ajar well I mean it, it, it sometimes it's not right sometimes it it, it it it's not open so then I have to check in right and be like okay because I'm always writing for example yeah. right uh, which is a huge part of my uh, profession for lack of a better term right? yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and the writing the writing has to come from that place as well right And and I want to be super clear here right uh, art is not therapy, right? Uh, if, you're, if you're creating art in order to heal yourself, then you're doing therapy, right? That's, you know, a journal or whatever it is yeah. that you're doing, right? It's the process of uh, creation. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you know. And, and so art, when you're creating art, which is always about the audience, not about you, right? Um, it cannot be only about personal catharsis, right? It has to be about universal experience. Um, Uh, And, you know, it has to be about giving away the material to the audience. It no no longer belongs to you, right? Uh, It's a constant process of giving away, giving away, giving away, giving away. Mm -hmm. And you are not entering into a conversation with yourself because that's therapy. You are entering into a conversation with the audience, right? Um, And I think that sometimes there's a confusion about that, right? Um, With people who are not artists is what I'm saying. Like, um, uh, I I often get... um, I mean, it's great to talk to a fellow artist, right? Because most often I'm interviewed by people who are not artists. And so they, uh, th- there's things that they obviously don't know because they're not artists, right? So right. They, 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 the assumption is made that I, for example, put work out there or the material that I put out there, which is semi-autobiographical, mm-hmm. that I'm doing it in order to heal myself from something. Right. And it's like, no, 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 that's therapy. Right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> But I think I'm, it's I, the I'm putting, is in vulnerability too, right? So we are, we all want yeah, to be vulnerable yeah. on stage because that's the thing audience can connect to. But if you're vulnerable for your own sake, then you can't connect to that because you're just existing on your own without really having yes. room for the audience.
1: Totally. Exactly. Wow.
0: That's exactly it. Yeah. So when did you find that, like, I mean, based on your journey from Chile, and then I know you've, you've spoken openly about your sexual assault experience, And when did you find that you're like, oh, the way that I can process those traumas is through art and through writing? Because I know Studio 58 is an acting school, but they also support um, developing and creating as well. When did you know that that was the way your voice needed to come out?
1: Well, I knew that I, that, uh, so when I started theater school, like Studio 58, I was completely ignorant about any everything and anything regarding the theater. Like, I knew that I wanted to do that, but I had never, I was coming directly from being, uh, from, you know, serving in this underground uh, revolutionary movement uh, against the Pinochet dictatorship, right? Right. So I had been doing that for four years, right? From the age of 18 to 22. And, um, you know, when I first uh, joined the movement uh, as a full militant, Um, I, quote-unquote, knew that I was going to die by the age of 20 because I was doing border work. And um, uh, most people who were doing border work, in other words, going in and out of Chile illegally, Mm -hmm. um, uh, 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 bringing people across the border into the country and other things, uh, were usually caught within a two-year period, right? Um, So the fact that I even made it to 22 was a miracle to me, but I was coming, so what was my my plan? My plan was that um, I was going to come here to go to theater school, and the second that I graduated, I was gonna go back and and be a theater artist in Chile. Uh, I wanted to go to theater school in Chile, but because Chile, uh, thanks to Pinochet, is was and is the most capitalist country in the world that sounds like an exaggeration but it's not right Uh, everything was privatized um so it was more expensive for me to go to theater school in chile and there is no student loans in chile right there's bank loans right Right. Right. (laughs) um yeah so it was more expensive to go to theater school in chile let me be super clear here to go to theater school in Chile in 1990 uh, was uh, about a hundred US dollars a month. Uh, most people in Chile, like the working class of Chile at that time made about $300 a month. Right. So if, if you look at the percentage impossible. of your wage, yeah, yeah it's impossible, right? Um, So my thought was I'll go to theatre school in Canada and then as soon as I graduate I'll go and be a theatre artist in Chile because I had zero interest in living in North America ever again. Um, I never wanted to live in North America because I consider North America to be quite a bubble uh in relation to the rest of the world right? right and uh and i i really can't stand this underlying kind of um attitude in north america that uh, we in north america are somehow superior to the rest of the world right um so i wanted to be as far away from that as possible <laughs> but well, uh, when i did came you to experience that?
0: like when you were in, living in vancouver how did you experience that that you recognized like this is a bubble
1: Oh, since I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't, we, we left Chile when I was a kid, when I was uh five years old. Um, and the second we arrived in North America, it felt like it was a bubble. Okay. You just found and, that, it, like uh, in your, in your and Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and then I could, I could point to it in my daily existence. Right. That, um, um, I mean, even, even okay. So let's look at what's happening now, right? Uh, with the with the, for lack of a better term, uprising currently yeah. happening in in North America, right? Um, I, I have noticed uh, some people saying they're shocked about what happened, or what you know, the murder right. of George, George Floyd. And it's like, how can you be shocked? Like. Mm-hmm really? You live in that much of a bubble? That's amazing to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. laughs> like we're on stolen land. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, in the United States, there was like, uh, how, what, how, how many years I forgot, like 250 years of slavery. Right. Right. Not that long ago. Like and how, how are you can shocked? you possibly be shocked? Yeah. No. yeah. This is bizarre to me. Right. That's a great example um, of bubble living for sure. Yeah. 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 But uh, I forgot where I was going with all this, but. We um, were well, talking about like how you
0: knew your voice because. You were, you were, oh, yes. Okay. So, so back.
1: I, so, so I knew that, I, yes. And so I, I, uh, clearly that never happened because then when I graduated from theater school here, I had a massive student loan. Right. And uh, then it was like, as soon as I pay it off, I'm going to go back. Right. And then years right. and years passed. Right. So, uh, the point is that when I got here, I was very, uh, I came directly to audition for Studio 58. And I knew there was no way that I could not get in. I was like, there's no choice. You have to get into that school because this is your plan, right? Yeah. You have to go to the school right. in order to go back. Right. And, uh, you know, I knew there was like 300, that three, 300 people audition for every semester and that only eight men and eight women get in. Right. And that an average of four of those original 16, uh, four graduate. But I was like, there's no choice. You have to, you have to get in and you have to graduate because this is the plan. Yeah. So I managed to get in and I, I got off the plane and I think it was like two weeks later that I had the audition. I had no clue what I was supposed to do for the, like I'd never done theater. How did you even know
0: that you wanted to be an actor?
1: Like, (laughs) I love that. You're like, I'm going to go and become
0: an actor. And there's the no (laughs) experience. Like what was the thing that made you know that that
1: was, you wanted to do? Did you see a show? Oh, I always wanted wanted, well, I always wanted to be an actor ever since I was about three years old. Like, I remember the day that I said to myself, that's it. That's what I'm doing. And it was, I must've been about three and my parents agreed that I was probably about three because they took me to the circus. This isn't chilling. Gotcha. Okay. They took me to the circus and I, I remember the circus perfectly. And I remember sitting on the edge of my seat and I was like, this is it. This is what I'm doing. That's, that's the end of that story. That's it. That's what you're going to do. Right. <laughs>
0: So <laughs> but we're lucky you could have watched the circus and been like,
1: I'm going to join Cirque du Soleil. Like, and, like you, you just see you wanted to perform. I knew I wanted to perform and yeah. I put it all together because also this was during the socialist government in Chile, which was overthrown by Pinochet. Right. Right. So my parents being socialists were very involved in the socialist government. And so part of what that meant was that my mother, who was very young, my mother had me when she was 19. Right. So she was in her early 20s. My mother um, was part of a theater troupe when I was a very small child, like at around that time. And what that meant was that this like VW van with all these hippies would pick her up at the house. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. And they'd go away. Right. They'd go they'd go to the countryside of Chile. This was during the socialist government. So what that meant is that part of what was going on was a literacy campaign right because there was so much illiteracy in chile especially in the rural parts of chile so she was part of this theater troupe that through theater would go to all these small rural communities and teach the 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 people you know it was a literacy camp yeah yeah and they so she would disappear into this van with these hippies and they all looked so happy and you know they were strumming guitars and singing and and I was like and so my father you're said like, oh she's going to do theater yeah, yeah. and you're like and I, I want in like, on that and I, that looks like fun yeah and I was yeah. always very upset that I wasn't allowed to go but my father would be like they're going to do theater and then I think he explained like you know like you know when we went to the circus and you loved it and, and there was a performance similar but it's different you know and I was like yeah. okay that's that's what I'm doing yeah but then i never did it because i was in the resistance yeah and um in the resistance i had made the commitment that i would do whatever was required right um and of course theater was not required <laughs> no yeah so i was actually a pilot so i thought so the the whole the whole um plan in my head was obviously we're going to win the revolution yeah and then i'll be a pilot right Right. like we'll nationalize the 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 airline the national airline right of chile yeah and i'll work for that right right um (laughs) done but uh so that yes uh, but by like 22 the whole revolution had been lost it was all a disaster everybody was extremely depressed uh we had lost most of our people right um and so i was like well i'm still young enough to follow that calling right of being an actor yeah which is why i thought that, okay i'll go to canada do the theater school thing and then come back to chile and, and be an actor right yeah. um but okay so i arrived in canada like two weeks before the audition but i had no idea what i was <laughs> supposed to do for you have that. to prepare like a monologue <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know i've oh. never auditioned i've never right. done anything oh. right? right uh so they sent me a monologue i think i don't even remember the details And I didn't even know how to prepare. I had no idea. But I knew this person who was a Hollywood TV star. Um, His name is uh, Jonathan Banks. He's um, Better Call Saul. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the, I've never seen Better Call Saul. But uh, Jonathan is like the bald, like I think his character's name is Mike. The older guy? Yeah. Oh my God, he's fantastic. Oh no, he's incredible. Yeah, so he's, he. So somehow uh, you just close knew him. I knew him because, um, uh, it, and it's very long backstory, but I, I was very close. I, I was, I am a very close friend of his wife, who's Spanish, like from Spain. And they were living here in Vancouver because he was doing, uh, what the hell was he doing? Wise Guy, the, okay. that, that show Wise Guy. Yeah. And so I call him and I'm like, okay, I have this audition for this theater school and they've sent me this monologue. I don't even know what a monologue is. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And the poor man is like on set like 12 to 14 hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, please help me with my Shakespeare monologue. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I, you're the only actor I know. Like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah. And he was kind enough to have me go to his apartment, like on beach wow. Avenue here in Vancouver, like late at night. After he's been on set, all day. And he has to get up at like, whatever, five, six in the morning, right. To help me with, and I like the poor, the poor man, he probably had no idea what to do with it. Like, I'd never read a monologue. I'd never, and and he helped me. Wow. And then he told me like, because of course he'd been to theater school, right. You have to do this at the audition. You have to do that. Don't wear this, wear that, don't, you know, blah, 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 blah. So I just followed his directives and went blindly into this audition and it was like throwing myself off a cliff because I had no idea what I was doing. It's like a two-hour audition, right? Like yeah, now those moves like intense, this, now sing that, now yeah. like, yeah. Um, but and, in and contrast to Chile, and, this
0: is yeah. a walk in the park. Like you're not having any kind of threat <laughs> yeah. to your life. You just have to throw yourself into a monologue <laughs> a
1: song. That's yeah. Easy. <laughs>
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, so I, um, I um, yeah, obviously I got into the school Tell me what and his the, all reaction
0: so- was. I want to know how the reaction when you were like, I got into the school when you told
1: him. Oh, he, I think he started crying. Like yeah. he was just so, so happy for me. Yeah. That's so exciting. Yeah. I know. Yeah. he Thank God for him. Um, but um, but then uh, you chose to yeah, dive into it. Like there's also this level of theater school that, you know,
0: there's there's a playfulness, there's a silliness. They're like, you know, like you're encouraged to explore things. And some people choose to explore on this level and you're like, nah, I'm going deep. I'm gonna express the pain that yeah. I've lived through yeah. and I'm gonna put it on stage for you as raw yeah. and as unbridled as it was. Tell me about that process.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, because I knew nothing about the theater and I knew nothing about anything in, in the arts, um, I was shocked and fell off my chair when I started theater school. And I don't remember how or what, what, what happened, but um, it was probably in the first week that I was referred to as a person of color. And I was like, oh, shit, that's right. I forgot about that. I'm in North America oh. now, right? right. Uh, and you know, race is always contextual, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so like, of course, in uh, South America, I'm not a person of color. right? I'm just this Chilean chick, right? right. So uh, I was like, oh, right, I forgot. Yeah, 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 the race thing, okay. Um, and then everything became very clear to me, right? Um, within the first few weeks of theater school, my teachers and s- people have said that this is a horrible thing to say, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand by my teachers and be like, no, that was actually really helpful, right? They pulled me aside and they said, um, are you sure you wanna continue? On this path of being a, an actor, which they do to all the kids. Yeah. Right. In the first six weeks, they pull them aside one by one and they go, Are you sure you want to do this? Do you have any fucking clue what you're in for? Right. 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 90% rejection, uh, an and entire life of financial instability, most likely poverty. You know, they really lay it out to every mm-hmm. kid. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention the training you're about to go through, which will literally kill you <laughs> and then you will be reborn. Right. That's right. But, uh, but, uh so yeah, so when they did the talk with me, they said all of that and then they added this other thing. And you're a person of color. Uh you're a woman of color. This is 1990, by the way, right. 30 years ago, right? Um and you will not get parts because it's a racist industry and the parts you do get will be hookers and maids. Right. So we urge you that if there's literally anything else in your life that you think you can do, run screaming now and do it. Right. Um and um uh, make you feel about it. So that moment? oh at that moment I was very angry because yeah. I was young and angry, right? <laughs> angry about everything. I, I, yeah. Um but in retrospect, I, I think it was a very good f- thing for them to say because it was true. Because as soon as I graduated, uh that is literally what happened. Mm. Hi, you want to play this hooker? Hey, do you want to play this maid? Right. Um so um, when I was still in theater school, I guess it was right after that talk, which was in the first few weeks of theater school. And again, they had that talk with everybody, right? Like all my female classmates, uh, and I was the only person of color in the class, right? Um, uh, got the same got the same talk. Like, are you sure you want to do this? Do you know what it's like for a woman in the theater, right? And look, every play you see, count how many women are on stage versus how many men are on stage. What is the name of the playwright? Nine times out of 10, it's a male playwright. Who was the director? Again, 1990, right? Nine times out of 10, it's a male director. So they would have to talk with everybody, right? Uh, With me, they just added that other piece about the racism. Uh, But it was then and there that I kind of, uh, it didn't crystallize completely for me, but the, 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 the seed was planted that if I was going to get any kind of work in the theater, I would have to create it myself. Right. Uh, and also, uh, none of the stories that we were um, studying, which was all Shakespeare and uh, Chekhov and, um, you know, Sam yeah. Shepard, etc. Not your stories. Right? Uh, yes, uh, were completely white, right? Um, and, you know, the stories of my community, which at that time, the Latin American community in Vancouver was the poorest demographic in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and made up mostly of political refugees, which is my community, right? We, we came here, my, the Chilean community came here in the 70s as political refugees. Um, I was like, fuck this bullshit, I'm going to start telling those stories. And I, I, I guess that's when I kind of unconsciously realized that, oh, I guess I'm going to stay here because these stories have to be told by yeah, somebody. Yeah, there's work to be done, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vancouver and Canada needed you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So, so that's how it's like, it kind of started really organically, right? Like I just thought like, Oh, I'm going to be trained to be a Shakespearean actor because I knew enough when I, when I, when I came back to audition for its studio, I knew enough that if you're that, that the best training you can get as an actor is to be a Shakespearean actor. And I knew that studio 58 was one of the top theater schools in Canada to do that. Right, and I knew that if I had, if I was properly trained as a Shakespearean actor, then I could go back to Chile and be an actor. Right, um, uh, but then I quickly realized that um, I was not going to get any work uh, as a Shakespearean actor in Canada, yeah. not in nineteen in the early nineties. Right, right. Um, and so then I started to create my own work, and then um, really uh, made it. Um, a priority to start to tell the stories of the latinx community in canada and not from the point of view of um because it, there were some quote-unquote immigrant plays being written in the early 90s in canada uh but they weren't saying anything that i connected to or mm-hmm. that i even agreed with right uh because they were they they had a tendency to portray The country that was left behind as backward Mm -hmm. and uh and to portray canada as superior and more open-minded right Mm -hmm. and they tended to perform gratitude to canada for quote unquote letting us in right and that was not the experience of uh my latin american community because we were refugees Mm -hmm. so which is very different than being an immigrant right Mm -hmm. so being an immigrant is about um reinventing yourself in the new place, right, choosing to leave your 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 country and reinventing yourself in the new country, whereas being a refugee is all about not choosing to leave your country, being forced to flee, and then when you're in the new country, uh, living in a state of exile, that is to say, all about the return to the homeland. Right. Um, so, uh, so I really wanted to write plays that spoke to that and that were also left-wing, right? Like I wasn't really seeing any left-wing content on the um, on Canadian stages. And there's, there's a lot of left-wing people in Canada, right? <laughs> uh, uh, and um, I uh, so, yeah, I, I, I knew that I wanted to write plays that were unabashedly left-wing. Right. And when I say left-wing, I mean like anti-capitalist. Right. You know, um, so, so yeah, one thing led to another and then 30 years pass and I'm still here, <laughs> but I still, <laughs> yeah, there's a I good still thirty have year story fantasy. in there. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I still have this fantasy, which is truly a fantasy. Cause there's no like concrete plans. Um, that I will go to Chile and work there. Yeah. But yeah. I, I still fantasize about that. Well, based yeah. on
0: your vision of like, I'm going to audition for this school and I'm going to get it. I'm going to do this and I'm going to get it. Like, I feel like you have <laughs> such a strong um, uh, self awareness and self worth that, that, you know, coming from such a shaky ground of upbringing your parents must have really instilled that in you. I know your mom was a, was a feminist to the nth degree. Yes. Like that kind of upbringing made you go, I can just do anything. You just
1: have to work. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I've always had the complete support of my parents, like with anything and everything. Like I can only begin to imagine how hard it was for them to know that I was in the resistance and that I was going to die at any moment, right? Yeah. But they supported it. Right. They're like, if that's what you have to do, that's what you have to do.
0: And along the way, when you've wavered in your pursuit of, of speaking your, your story and pursuing the, the goals of, as, your play, as a playwright, have you checked in with them and said, like, I need, some, I, need, I need a bolstering? Like, how do you keep going? Because I feel like the kind of confidence that I hear and I see in your work, I'm so in awe of and I feel like people long for that kind of laser beam vision of their their process how do you keep making that strong
1: yeah i, I, I guess it's it's that uh i was raised in the chilean community and exile here in vancouver right and so that was my whole family right so like they're not blood family but they're my family yeah and the people that raised me right which was I, you know i guess it was i don't even know like a, f- a few dozen families yeah. right uh and all we, your aunts, everything together yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. We would do everything together. Um, they were um, almost all uh, concentration camp survivors, right. right? They had been political prisoners in Chile and uh, many of them had been tortured almost to death. And so they were my role models because I never ever heard them complain, right? Uh, they would, you know, and uh, it was a very poor demographic. So my parents and all of my aunts and uncles—not blood aunts, aunts and uncles, but people I call aunts and uncles—were all janitors uh, when I was a kid. So we would. Um, what that meant is that they had to take us kids to their janitor gigs. So we spent the nights and the weekends uh, being janitors, right? Right. <laughs> and we had fun. It was fun because you were but, like, you like great I, big I, spaces. So it's like yeah, yeah, the run of yeah, the whole, and all, the all us kids. Yeah, and all us kids would have jobs, right? Like they'd go, okay, all you kids, you go and do all the garbage, and right. now you have to do all the da da right. right? And so, <laughs> and I mean, I, I think I I I I I always forget what was edited out of my books, but I think this one, this little piece stayed in one of my books. Uh, I remember, for example, like uh, one of my aunts um, always having crying fits because she was. Um, like the the levels of trauma are unspeakable that she yeah. had been through, right? In in, in Chile, right? Of uh, everything that had been done to her and everything that had been lost, right? Um. So like we'd all be like doing, the, you know, they'd all be doing the vacuuming and da da da, right? <laughs> and doing the janitor work, and she would just be sobbing and yeah. sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and just keep working through it, and and you know, it was there was always somebody, d- doing that, right? Mm. It, it, men, women everybody right and what we witnessed as children was that the whole community was there for them um and they just worked through it nobody was shamed for it you know i remember the first time it happened i was very uh worried Mm -hmm. Uh, i was a small child for my aunt and my and i and uh, my mother was rubbing her back as they were both (laughs) cleaning right (laughs) and uh And I was like, just standing there, just very, very affected by this. And my mother said, don't worry. uh, Don't worry. Um, The great sadness has hit her today and uh, it just has to come out and the great sadness lives in all of us and it, and it has to come out. Right. Um, So these people were complete role models for me and the fact that they continued their activism here in Canada. Right. Like, so Uh, The second we arrived in Canada, they immediately made connections with local groups and and it's like, how can we be in solidarity with you, right? Like at that time, it was uh, the American Indian Movement here in North America, right? The Black Panthers in North America, Um, you know, other refugee groups, right? It was immediately, how can we be in solidarity with whoever is here and what their struggles are, right? Um, Right. So, yeah, the, the, they were. I guess what I'm saying is that I had the, the great um, privilege of being raised in a community by a community of people who modeled for me every day yeah. what it was to be strong and tender at the same time.
0: I mean, when you said that description, I think that's, that's so your epitome. Like, I, I read somewhere about your, you having compassion for your rapist and for people that have caused yeah. you trauma. And that kind of journey, I'm uh, I'm in awe of. Like when you are able to see experiences that are negative and painful, and see the benefit, because that's the right. way your makeup is. I'm I'm in, I'm in awe of that.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, again, like I, I I learned that from my community because one thing that I learned from my community, and that I really um, yeah, but I, I, I was, I witnessed it, uh, mm-hmm. it every day growing up is that even though this, they were survivors of unspeakable, unspeakable torture, trauma, you know, murder of loved yeah. ones, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, they, there was never any blame. They never focused on right. the torturer. Like I never heard any of them say that motherfucker that tortured me, I'm going to go kill them. Right. Nothing ever. Right. Yeah. It was always about, oh, how can we be in solidarity with others? How can nice. we, you know, and and the way that I was trained by them, like uh, raised by them, was that um, 99% of the people who do harm um, have been harmed themselves. Yeah. So that's what we have to always look at, right? That's what we always have to look at. How have these people been harmed? Because mm-hmm. nobody's going to do that level of harm if they themselves are not, have not been harmed, right? Right. Um, yeah, so, that's, I mean, uh, that, that, that's one of the things that I had a, a real issue with, with the Me Too movement, once it became huge, mm-hmm. right, when, when the Me Too, so I, I'm not talking about the, the Me Too movement that Tarana Burke, uh, you know, the African American mm-hmm. inner city uh, woman mm-hmm. who started the Me Too movement, uh, I, I love her Me Too movement, right, mm-hmm. which was, hey, inner city uh, sisters, let's have circles and, right. uh, you know, share. Right. And in that way, start a healing process. Right. And that that is uh, 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 wow. Like I'm totally for that. Right. Yes. It was when the when the Me Too movement was co-opted and gentrified by um, middle and upper class white liberal feminists who became obsessed with the men and obsessed with punishment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, That's when I had a real issue with it. Right. Uh, which is kind of the opposite of what my interpretation of what Tarana Burke was, was, was proposing at the beginning. Um, And that's also what I learned from my community, right? It was Mm -hmm. never an obsession with the person who individually tortured me or hurt me. It was more of a, like, let's look at the system. Let's look at what led them to do that to me. Who were they working for and fuck them. Let's just deal with us and be in solidarity with other people. Right. Yeah. yeah,
0: I think so, sometimes so, the struggle is, is that we don't address our own pain first and then their pain. Like I sometimes process yeah. my pain so quickly that I don't even allow myself to be in pain. Do you know what I mean? Like I've, I've already yeah. put so much compassion yeah. and empathy towards the person that has inflicted it on me that I have, I'm like, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Well, that person's obviously going through something and I haven't actually gone through what I need to go yeah. through so it's a process
1: right, right right
0: yeah yeah i'm so curious about yeah, the time sure. where you you started directing your your voice cuz you, you have so many strong voices as an actor in every show that you do you stand on stage and you speak your your truth even with other people's words and then as a playwright and then you started writing um you know award winning books i feel like you you set your mind <laughs> to something you're like i'm just going to do that to the best of everything and you just set it out and you <laughs> what did your your voice turn into to writing books
1: Oh well i mean my the first book that I wrote uh something fierce um it was in my mind for a very long time. I knew it wasn't a play because it was just too much uh content right so it would have uh-huh. to be like a twenty hour play right <laughs> so, right right uh, so, yeah yeah um, but uh so I knew it had to be a book um and I was really um told not told told isn't the right word but for lack of a better term I was asked right by different people in the movement that I was in who were on their deathbeds like literally on their deathbeds to write the book right um because, yeah, I, no because pressure. I was also raised no yeah like I was raised um with uh, again my parents are socialists so the, the way that I was raised is you have a skill set and whatever skill set that is you put it at the service of the community Mm -hmm. right um so you know these people who were on their deathbeds were like your skill set is storytelling Mm -hmm. um and you have put that skill set at the service of the community and it's really important that you write this book yeah uh, because you know that's your skill set um so i knew that i wanted that that i had to write the book right mm-hmm. and that that was going to be my um uh offering yeah. right um and and also i was raised you know my both my parents come from like lower middle class families in chile yeah and the only reason they were both able to go to university and be in and they neither of them are from santiago they're from smaller towns in the north and in the south of chile the only reason they were able to go to Santiago and go to university for five years at one of the top universities of the time, like their teachers were Nobel prize winners yeah. at university right. um, and be in residence at university for five years was because it was free. Right. Right. Uh, ever since the Pinochet dictatorship, it's all been privatized, right. but when they were going to school in the 1960s, it was 100% free. That includes the tuition, living in residence for five wow. years wow all meals everything was 100 percent free um and so they were taught that um if you get that if you have that level of opportunity in your life which they did you have to do whatever you do to the very best of your ability like nothing nothing below that will will is is acceptable uh, so they both taught me that, and they've both lived their lives like that, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that yeah, way whenever I'm you? writing anything, mm-hmm. um, no, no, because I am very aware of how privileged I am. Mm. Right. Like the level of privilege that I have is is in the one percent. Yeah. Uh, I think in yeah. uh, in terms of the world, right? Of you know, um, so. No, no, I just, I just think um, I'm very lucky and privileged uh, and that I have to, um, bec- because I've been handed that level of privilege, I, I can't squander it. Right.
0: Um,
1: so I, I do the best I can every, with everything I do and I'm not, uh, clearly not always successful, but at least I know that I tried the, I did the best I could. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, so, you take risks too, so right? Yeah, which is
0: an, like, you have to take risks as an artist. You can't uh, yeah. just go, well, I'm going to do what I did last time because that seemed to work for my community. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try something new. I just wonder, yeah. like, as, an, as an artist, because you do have access to your comedy muscles as well. Like you're, you, you have mm-hmm. joy, you have fun. And so do you ever like, wake up and be like, I'm going I'm to write a farce. I'm going to write something completely. <laughs> like, can you imagine the community receiving a car, car get a uh, play that was a farce of some sort?
1: well that's so funny that you're saying that because that's exactly what i'm writing now no kidding a farce no kidding (laughs) yeah
0: i had a vision Yeah. (laughs) well anywhere (laughs) but here had comedy in it i know but but i just wonder if you ever just want to like i think the responsibility that you have chosen must weigh on you sometimes and that sometimes you're like i just need to watch desperate housewives eat popcorn (laughs) and write a farce
1: Oh, I do that all the time. Yeah. I write, I watch really bad TV all the time. It's not bad TV. It's just not, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I get and, it. uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's the
0: balance though. Right. Like we, we're not uh yeah. we're human. You can't just wake up in the morning and fight 24 hours a day, go to sleep and start again. Yeah. Something that has to recharge. Yes.
1: So what are the things for you that recharge
0: yeah. your, your fire?
1: oh like yeah watching really bad tv yeah and um <clears throat> going dancing i mean I, obviously i haven't been able to do that since the pandemic but yeah. i i've always been a really like the big thing for me is salsa dancing yes um so i do that all the time i go salsa dancing um and they I used have a have huge lessons. social life.
0: They used to have lessons down on Granville that I used to go to, where they teach oh, you okay. now and then you dance for an hour. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I embarrass <laughs> myself supremely. Yeah.
1: And then you've got your community yeah. that
0: you've been building, right?
1: Yes, I have a huge social life. And uh, one thing that I've always that uh, um, that I've always done, and I think this is just typical of of um, being an exile or being an immigrant, um, is that I, I I've always been good at compartmentalizing. So most of my friendships are not in the theater community. Really, right? Yeah. yeah. So I have these really great colleagueships in the theater community and creative partnerships, uh, but in terms of friendships, like where you just let it rip and yeah. You know, uh, yeah. they are not in the theater community, wow. those, those friendships, they are not in the theater community. And I have a rule with all my friends, do not ask me about work, do not make me talk about work, and they, they know. <laughs> uh, so we talk about completely different things, and there, so there's a whole other life there, you know? So I, that actually has helped me to take risks in the theater world. Yeah, I bet because I don't have all my eggs in one basket, right? So like in terms of my activism in the theater world where I get into trouble all the time when I speak publicly about whatever it is, right? Um, You know, people hate me all the time in the theater community for saying things publicly. I really don't care, like, I'm not just saying that. I should truly give a shit because my friendships are not in the theater community. And it's very clear to me, there's only two groups of people that I actually really care what they think about me. And that's my friends and my comrades, Mm -hmm. neither of which are in the theater community, right? And this is not me dissing the theater community, it's just, um, it's always been very clear to me that if I had all of my friends in the theater community, I think it would be much harder to take risks because if I lost them, then I would really lose my whole life. I mean, you're
0: building community Um, pockets, like you said, right? You've got your, your comrades, you've got your other, your playtime friends, but your theater community is still a version of your community because you need to play together.
1: So when you have an
0: opinion that may not like, I'm sure you stand up for what you believe in and your true friends are going to challenge you and or agree with you and or disagree with you and you'll still be friends but it's still isn't it a pocket of yes. Your community
1: yes it is uh, and and i see it as colleagueships or creative partnerships but most of the people that i work with in the theater community don't actually know what's going on in my personal life i guess that's what i mean ah uh, okay right and you like and it there's that way. always a lot yes uh, there's always a lot going on in my personal life <laughs> Um, and most of them don't know what is actually going on in my personal life. Like they think they know, but they don't. Right. right. Like my friends know, my right. friends know, like who, you, like, I guess it comes down to this. Yeah. Sorry, you go. Who are you going to call it? Who are you going to call it for in the morning? And when, uh, you know, you're having a nervous breakdown on the floor, that's who your friend is. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you say like the, your theater community yeah. doesn't know what's going on in your private life. Like mm-hmm. when you launch into working on a production, you know, you're asking a lot of your, your cast, you're asking a lot of your creating creative team to, to go with you in a vulnerable place. Don't you feel obligated to also let them in on that personal place of your vulnerability?
1: Yes, that, that definitely happens. Um, but for example, here, here, here's the thing. Like, for example, when I wrote my second book uh, or even my first book, people who had worked with me for decades read the book and said, I had no idea. Right. No clue that you were in the resistance that you did all of that. Uh, no, no idea. I'm like, well, no, cause I never told you. Right. It's not your fault. I just never told you. Right. Or even the second book, which traces, which um, covers that, you know, the spine of the second book is that childhood rape that I experienced at the hands of the paper bag rapist. Mm. And it's about healing from PTSD. Most people, uh, even in theater school, who I went to theater school, came up to me and said, I had no idea. I did not know that all of that was happening <laughs> while we wow. were in school. While I mean, we didn't they know these from, your, together.
0: from your, your, what is it called when you did your little performances? Mm-hmm. Like they had like separate performances. And didn't you oh, always have yeah, to uh, like really dark, dark stuff for your performance? Yes. <laughs> Wasn't there like a little inkling that, oh my God, I think Carmen has dealt with some shit.
1: Yeah, but I never really told them, like, I would be going to a parole hearing. Right, in the middle every of two years, period. I heard that, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I can't and come I to which party today. I <laughs> like, I wouldn't say to the rehearsal, you know, to the whole rehearsal hi everybody i'm just sorry just got to go to a parole hearing right be right back like i i, I didn't share that kind of day by day minutiae what is actually going on in my personal life right let's put it that way and, yeah and
0: why is that is that just because you wanted it for yourself and you didn't trust or you didn't trust them like what
1: why did you keep that to yourself um I guess, it, I guess in my old age, I've realized that um, I'm very picky with who is my friend. Right. You know, and, 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 and uh, a friendship is earned, you know, um, and there, there have been many times in the theater community when I've been, and this is not all conscious, right, but, but I now realize, mm-hmm. right, that I've, I've been checking somebody out as like, you know, I could really let this person in mm-hmm. and really be friends with them. But then they've done or said a few things where I'm like, no, right. I'll just keep it as, you know, you're, you know, I love working with you. I love being your colleague. We can have a great time. Um, but there's certain things that just, um, no. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm, tr- I'm trying to be specific here. Like, well, we talk um, a
0: lot about safe spaces, especially right now with yeah. with the, the journey of Black Lives Matter. And so creating a safe space where you can feel like you trust people enough to share the minutiae of your day to day. I think, yeah. I think, I think as a white community, we're not aware of what that space mm-hmm. looks like. And we think we're creating a right. space and yet it's not. And so I think like for me personally, that's my, my biggest journey right now is how do I mm-hmm. adjust to create a better and more safer space?
1: Right. Yeah. So yeah. That you
0: can, you can speak freely and not feel judged and be like why is it why is she leaving rehearsal early yeah you had yeah totally yes (laughs) yes I'm so um I mean I could talk to you forever and I'm so in awe of your I'm so in awe of your your confidence and your commitment to your story I think that it's easy to get knocked off our path and it feels like you chose a path maybe when you were 11 and you left chile and you've been on that path since then and it's uh it's um i think it's a gift to our community the the, the stories that you're telling because we wouldn't be exposed to it a lot of people wouldn't be exposed to it otherwise
1: i'm very oh, grateful thank you so much yeah thank you i mean I, it's so funny when whenever i hear you say that that self-confidence i, I obviously i don't feel self-confident right i mean that's the other thing uh, yeah. <laughs> so people see you and they're like oh Car- she's just this this
0: teeming force but then inside there's like what's what are the things that that
1: challenge your confidence oh I mean I'm scared all the time whenever I open my mouth right like um for example this farce that I'm writing is uh is right now is a um adaptation of a Moliere piece I mean I love Moliere. I yeah. just think he's so I love him so I complicated. Could just do him Oh, I love him so, yeah. and he's so funny. Like I just, I would love to just act in a Molière piece. Every single one of them. <laughs> I love <it>. Yes, agreed. <laughs> but I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm adapting uh, the Learned Ladies for um, the Factory Theater. Oh wow! wow. And uh, yeah, so even there, I'm like, okay, you know, I'll, you know, who knows what's going to happen to me after this comes. <laughs> out. <from.
0: laughs> yeah, but then because you I'm basically. Somewhere about like, like bravery isn't doing things that are brave. It's actually being scared and doing them anyway.
1: Yes, exactly. But
0: knowing like, I feel like as fellow artists, it is such a relief to hear you speak of the insecurities because we all feel them, but we don't see them. You know, like I, I, like every time I have to do public speaking or even when I have discussions, I'll tell you, like every time I have one of these interviews, I'm like, I should cancel like half an hour before. I'm like, I think I'm going to call that a man and cancel it because I'm sounding stupid or not having the right information at my fingertips or not pronouncing words. Like I have so many fears. And then I'm like, Mm. it's, I am so excited about this discussion and about being able to share your voice with my community that I'm like, those fears are ridiculous. You put those fears in the garbage sneakers. This is way more important. But I, I just, it's so, it's so refreshing because I see you as such a powerhouse person that it's nice to hear that you also
1: tread that, that line. Oh, all the time. Yeah, yeah. Like even in writing this play, I'm like, okay, how many, how many death threats am I going to get? Right? <laughs> death threats <laughs> because, of ours. Yeah, well, because I'm basically taking on uh, sexual paranoia and Puritanic, Puritanism in the Me Too era on campus. Right. Okay. So I'm basically dangerous. just exploding the whole thing. It's dangerous because I'm, I'm challenging this. Um, and I know it's died down now, but at the height of it, you know, th- this, this uh, notion that, you know, basically this essentializing of women as victims and men as perpetrators and uh, of sex as something that is done to women. Right. Um, and, uh, there was a moment when it seemed like, uh, it was kind of open season on men, right. And, um, really presenting women as people that have no agency whatsoever in any given situation, uh, of intimacy. And I guess what, I guess I was not, um, how do you say that identifying with the victims? There was, there came a moment where I was like, I just don't identify with with you mm. anymore, right? Because it's all about focusing on um, the men and on punishment. And I'm a restorative justice type person, right? I went through a whole restorative justice uh, process with uh, the paper bag rapist, right? Where I ended up going to visit him at, in jail and having a face-to-face, five-hour conversation with him. Um, So, yeah, there came a moment quite quickly, actually, (laughs) where I I did not identify with the victims. Right. And a lot of what was being called uh, sexual assault and rape is not what I would call sexual assault and rape. Right. Uh, So it began began to, for me, it was like, okay, uh, conflict is not abuse. Right. Um, And if we're going to call such and such a scenario, sexual assault or rape, then we, start, we, need, we really need to start to look at how we define certain things. Um, because me um, getting drunk with somebody as an adult, right, and we're both equally drunk, and we both go to bed, and then the next day I don't quite remember what happened, does not equate sexual assault in my point of view. Uh, And I was hearing a lot of stories exactly like the one I just described, right? Where it's like, okay, let me get super clear here. You're saying that you were both equally drunk. Yes, I'm saying that. Okay. And the next day he remembered it, but you didn't remember all of it. Yes, that's right. Please, uh, Please explain to me how that equals sexual assault because I'm confused now. But even asking that question, is considered being a rape apologist, right? <laughs> well it's a dangerous question I mean, to ask. Absolutely.
0: But it is a very
1: dangerous question to ask.
0: It starts conversations. Like I, I think that the yeah. worst things we can the worst thing we can do is not start conversations, even if they're dangerous. Even if you know people disagree mm-hmm. with each other. So you saying a statement like that, like I have a hard time agreeing with it because it's such a a generalization. Like I don't know I don't know the circumstance. I don't know what she dealt with. I don't yeah. know what she dealt with. So it's a really uh, I think case-by-case case issue but totally. the best thing yeah. out of this is that we talk about it because I think the more we talk about it the yeah. more we figure these things out and figure out where we stand on things and then we can have a grounding yeah the worst thing is just to bottle it up and then we're not
1: yes or to or to talk behind people's back Yes. Yeah. agreed 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 <laughs> and, and so you're and not, saying- actually, not actually not Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, not actually go up to the person, which in this case would be me, right? And be like, hey, I disagree with what you said. Can we unpack that? Yeah. Right? And then we can both learn from each other. Yeah,
0: you're setting yourself um, on a um, challenging platform to have those discussions. But I have a feeling that's your jam. (laughs) I have a feeling you like that kind of
1: platform. Well, I mean, it's how we learn, I think. Yeah right? I think we learn through debate, I think, right? And for me, it's like, I've had many conversations with many women who feel exactly the way that I feel, like everything that I just said, Yeah, but who can never, who feel they can never actually say it publicly, uh, because they don't have the past that I have, right? right? And, you know, I've been very open about the fact that I was brutally raped at gunpoint as a child uh, by a serial uh, psychopath, uh, rapist, and who have been on a very long restorative justice journey with, with him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is not the only sexual, that's the worst sexual assault I've, I've endured, but I've endured others as well, right? That's the one I'm public about. Mm-hmm. Um, so even then, I still, I've still been called a rape apologist, even for asking that question. <laughs> it's, such, right? it's such a but, dichotomy, though,
0: because it's so private it's like one of the private things you could have possibly experienced. And you're speaking about it from your perspective. You're not asking people to believe in anything else other than listen to what you felt about your experience.
1: Yeah. Well, and also I think it's an important voice to have out there because it's also saying not all victims are the same. Not all victims agree with what a sexual assault is or what a rape is or what sexual harassment is victims are not a monolith right some victims uh will agree with me others will vehemently disagree with me this is good right mm-hmm. it's like saying oh all women are the same or all latino people are the same or no it's not a monolith right mm-hmm. um so here's a person who was you know probably has the worst possible you know example right of what rape is like to be raped at gunpoint and psychologically tortured as a child by a psychopath is about as bad as it gets when we're talking about rape right um who has this opinion that is counter to uh, a lot of the opinions out there this is informative oh right not all victims think the same way right Right. (laughs) not all victims come to the same conclusions right Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i Feel that everybody has the right to speak you know and to write yeah. but also the, the right and the time to listen you know i think that we have mm-hmm. to really choose those two things and make sure we pursue it we can't just like yes we can't just be guided by other people's opinions Hmm. Mm-hmm. um that's gonna be that's gonna be a hot play
1: that's gonna be oh well you know i I always go if i'm not scared on some level of uh when i'm writing a play then i'm not digging deep enough then i'm not taking a risk right Right. because even with anywhere but here on opening night i was like this could literally be a complete disaster right like i have no idea how this is going to come across because it was such a massive risk not in the content but in the form, yeah. right? The production um, was huge, it was like, right? Um, yeah, it was huge. And what I was doing with the writing was very—it was um, challenging to the mm. audience in many ways, right? Like I had different timelines going on at exactly the same time. The cosmology that I brought into the play is is uh, completely different, right? That it, it was a indigenous cosmology based on my own um, uh, indigenous um, side, right? Um, so, and, and never explain, just here it is, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's very hard to describe it, I guess, unless you actually see it. But I, I, I just love that you're, you're, like, I'm like, what are you gonna
0: do next that scares you? Look where you're diving into, you, you know, from where you started with Studio 58 in the, in the performance labs to now, you're constantly challenging your discomfort. I, I don't know where you're gonna go next. Well, this
1: farce is pretty scary. Yeah. Because of the content. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, That's, um, well, I'm in awe. awe. I don't think a lot of artists challenge their discomfort level and their fear level like that. It must be somehow rewarding for you to be able to, you know, step into that. You've got good, good, risky genes.
1: Yes. Yeah. And and again, I think it's because my whole life is not. my entire life is not the theater community. So if my right. entire life was the theater community, I don't know that I would be taking these risks because uh, I could lose my whole life, right? Right. Um, yeah, so I think that has a, a lot to do with it. Yeah,
0: but I'm going to wrap it up with a couple <laughs> of like, quicker questions just to, uh, to finalize this fantastic talk that I'm so grateful for. Um, okay, oh, here we go. You. But take your time with these questions. I just, I just rattle them off. Uh, what is what do you want
1: to be best known for oh god well I guess the single most important thing I've ever done in my life is to serve in the Chilean resistance
0: yeah yeah and if there were two words to describe your present
1: mental state what would those two words be geez curious (laughs) and uh, hoping I can go salsa dancing soon
0: I mean, that's way more than two words, but I'll allow it. I'll allow it. I know. It. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> okay, if this was, if your life was a movie and this was the final scene, talking to me was the final scene, what was the turning point of your movie? What was the, the happening in your life that changed things forever? Uh, the, the,
1: the, the coup in Chile, sem- September 11th, 1973.
0: I was going to say, what, like, you have so many turning points. If this was a movie, people would be like, <laughs> another turning point? Another turning point? There's so <laughs> many. Amazing. What's something that people don't know about you?
1: Oh, God, so much. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Something that people don't know about me. There's a lot, a lot. Um, I can't even think of anything right now, but, um, Hmm. I suppose that if I was a different type of actor or theater person, the thing that I would have, that would have made me super happy was to be, was to just act in musical theater all the time.
0: No kidding. No kidding. Yeah. I love that. What's your favorite yeah, yeah. musical that you've yeah, seen yeah. lately? That I've seen lately.
1: Or what would be the musical guess that it you'd was,
0: be like, I'd love to be in that?
1: Oh God, all of them, really? <laughs> I love a good musical. I guess age, age appropriate right now would be Mamma Mia.
0: Oh, age smage. What would be the musical? <laughs> age didn't matter.
1: Oh, God. Let's think. Grease? Yes.
0: hundred percent. Yes. Yes. I, I
1: love those songs. Oh yes. Gosh, they're yes. so good.
0: What, um, <laughs> because I don't really think the word is true, but what's been your best
1: mistake? Your favorite mistake? Oh, God. My favorite mistake. Going into the theater. <laughs> <laughs> I get it, I get it. Um, I, I, I mean, there's, there's a tiny backstory there, which okay. is that I was, um, I was offered a full medical scholarship um, to go study medicine in Cuba uh, when I was 16. And I turned it down in order to go join the Chilean resistance. And so I look at that now and I go, I could really be serving a lot of people. Mm -hmm. if I had become a doctor in Cuba, and I could be, because I'm bilingual, right, I could be on a Cuban medical team, traveling to wherever is needed, and really serving the community. So that's what I mean when I say my favorite mistake is going into the theater. (laughs) Lucky for us. Uh,
0: What's something (laughs) that you know you have to do before, before the end of your time?
1: go back to Chile, live there, even if it's just for a few months.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, my final question is what would you tell your younger self?
1: What advice Um, would you give? You are enough. Mm -hmm.
0: It's been an absolute pleasure to spend time with you.
1: Thank Thank you so much, Naomi. When this is done, I'm coming to
0: Vancouver and we'll have sushi together. Oh, great. Yeah, I would love that.
1: I would really love that. Me too. Yeah, Me too. I mean,
0: she literally blew my mind. Just blew my mind. I just feel so lucky. You know, all these discussions I get to have with firecrackers, I just feel so lucky to have had time like this with her. And I just can't wait till we can be in Vancouver and meet up on a beautiful day that's not raining and we're all traveling comfortably, we'll meet with friends and family and we'll be able to hug each other, it's gonna be great. I have so many coffee dates, sushi dates, cocktail drinks, all all kinds of appointments and dates planned for when this is all done and we can see and be together again. And, little side note we have got a burgeoning firecracker department chapter over there in Vancouver which I'm so excited to launch and get firecrackers going over in that community with Nicola Pender and Krista Groon we also have a new chapter that's just about starting in New York and when it's finally safe I'm gonna go out there I'm gonna meet the heck out of you all I can't wait there's some folks in the firecracker department core right now like Rebecca Marquardt and Nadine Brito, who I've never met in person, I've only met on my computer screen, so I can't wait to meet all these new firecrackers. Don't forget you must go check out Caraman's new film, Bella Chow, currently streaming online until July 16th. Fellow firecracker Marie Clements also features in this film, so, I mean, you're welcome. I interviewed her a few weeks back and you can listen to her episode wherever you're listening to this one just take us along for for a walk you can watch bella chow at all the links in our show notes and follow the film bella c-i-a-o film on instagram and twitter for all the updates and as always let us know what you thought about this episode and any episode that you've listened to you can find us on instagram or twitter at firecracker d-e-p-t i'm so enamored with folks that let us know what resonated with them You know, if you send like a little quote and say, oh, this part part really, really got me jazzed, or oh my gosh, as soon as I read that, that inspired me to do this. Um, Or this part just cracked me up. I can't believe that happened to that person. There's so many great stories. So please don't stop connecting with us and keeping our beautiful community growing and growing. I feel like the firecracker department is this little table, but it has like a kajillion leaves in it. So there's always space for you at the table. Just pull up a chair or a bench or you can sit on my knee just come on over we'll make it happen there's a space for you at the table I just want to let you know that there is something for everyone within the firecracker department and if you're not already part of our firecracker members group over on Facebook why not you should be it's super fun and it sort of is our central hub for connecting with each other it's kind of like what I say is these are your people come and find us This is where you'll hear about what's going on in all the departments and also meet some fabulous Firecracker people from all over the world. So get in on that action. Mondays are FDTV. That's Firecracker Department Television. We have a writing group that meets on Thursday. So you can be part of that as well. Come one, come all. And then Sundays, we do a community brunch on Zoom so everybody can come, meet some of your people, hang out and then pop over to our wellness department for an amazing meditation, live on Instagram and Facebook. So, I'm telling you, we're busy and there's something for you. There's a department and a seat for everyone at the firecracker table. You just have to pull up a chair, because really we've been waiting for you. So come on in and join the community. Stay in the loop and subscribe to our newsletter at firecrackerdepartment.com. I'm really glad you're here. Big, huge, massive, gigantic, big-hearted thank you to the whole Firecracker team. Oh my gosh. Everyone who are in Los Angeles, Toronto, Vancouver, and all the way over in the UK. And we've got some Firecrackers that are humming over in New York or hoping to start a chapter over there as well. Thank you to the core members that really make everything work. They're incredible, incredible people. And then we're going to do a whole new episode on Tuesdays. Yeah, we don't stop. Because we know that this stuff is important. It gives folks platforms for your voices, for your stories. And thanks to you for taking the time to listen. Because, you know what? There's a lot of options out there. And there's a lot of information. So we're really thrilled that you chose us. Let us know what you're working on. Let us know how we can help. Because I always say, we're one better if you're here. I'm Naomi. And we'll see you next time on the Firecracker Department. Bye.